0: All right, church, go ahead and find your seats. We are going to dive in together this morning. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Celebrate our moms. There we go. That is awesome. It's so exciting. I love Mother's Day. Um, and that was a cool opportunity. What, what a Mother's Day present to be able to, to baptize your son on Mother's Day. It's pretty, really, pretty cool. Uh, we were like, hold it together, hold it together, hold it together, because we prayed backstage with Jack, and then we're like, get it all out so that you can actually understand what we were saying. Um, So it was a really cool moment. Let's pray together, and then we are going to dive in this morning. Jesus, we are so grateful that we have an opportunity to come in these doors and worship you. Uh, Father, today, I pray as we unpack, as we dive more and more into what does it mean to worship? What does it mean to give you the value and worthiness that you deserve? What's it mean? What's it mean? How do we do this? Jesus, today, I pray... That whatever we walked in the door with, uh, Lord, that we, that we can see and know that it doesn't matter what situations or circumstances look like in our life right now, worship is possible. Uh, Father, it doesn't matter what's going on, it doesn't matter what we're, what we're dealing with, walking through, worship is possible in all situations, at all times. And God, that there's a way, there's a way that you want us to worship you, Lord, and it is in, it is in, it's free, it's, it's in freedom. Uh, so Father, we pray today that you open our eyes, that you soften our hearts, open our ears to your truth about what it means and what it looks like for us to worship. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So, hey, we're going to do one of the things we realized. This is kind of a fun series to do because there's a lot of things, right? If we could kind of have, if we could write a book, Stuff Christians Do, right? Uh, There are a lot of things that we do that maybe you've grown up doing. You've been a part of church for a while and you've grown up with it and you've always wondered, like, why do we do this? Like, why do we stand and sing and sit down and sing and go through all these, like, why, why, why do we do some of the things that we do as Christians? Why, why do we do, like, why do, why do Christians do some of the things that we do? So, we're going to take a couple series out of the year, every now and then, and do this. And so, this one, we are unpacking worship. And so, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off by asking this question, and that's, what is worship? Like, what does it mean to worship? What is worship? And what we said is worship is really worth-ship, right? That's what it means. So th- this word worship that we use came from an old word that meant worth And that's exactly what it means. It literally means this, to give and express proper worth and value to something or someone, right? Worship at its core comes down to how we demonstrate how much, how much worth someone or something has in our lives. How do we demonstrate that? It's this dance. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's this dance that takes place, you know, between our hearts, our heads, and our hands, right? Our hearts, our minds, and then our actions, the way we live our lives, right? How much I desire or want something, right, in my heart shapes how I think, about whatever that thing is, right, in my head, which ends up, right, I end up expressing that, right, my desire in my heart and my thoughts in my mind, I end up expressing that with my life, right, with my hands. And so one of the things we said was this, we give worth, which is our worship, to the people that we deem worthy, right? We think they deserve it. That's who gets our worship. We give our worship to the people or to the things that we deem worthy. We think they deserve it. So here's a fact, right, All you have to do, all you have to do is look at my life. If you could follow me around for a day or if I could follow you around for a couple of days, right, all you would have to do is you could look at my life and you could see what I worship. I will tell you. You will show me, right? That's just the truth, right? That's true for all of us. If I want to know who or what you worship, all I have to do is watch your life, and you'll show me. You'll show me what you worship. It's not about music. It's not just about singing songs. It's about expressing worth, To what we deem worthy and we do that with our lives right we do that with our lives so so knowing all of that here's kind of our adventure definition of what worship is we said this worship is an all the time every day in all things active way of stating and expressing how much god is worth to us this is what worship is this is kind of our adventure definition the way we take notes at adventure if you don't have a notebook you just grab a picture of this with your phone right so if you want to take a picture of that take a picture of that real quick okay we, we quoted, uh, there's a guy who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, his name's Donald Whitney, it's a great book, and here's what he says about worship. He says, God is worthy, which means he deserves all of the worth, which is all of our worship, all of the worth, all of the worship and honor that we can give him, and infinitely more. So when you wonder, like, okay, well, how much is God worth? That much, right? How much is he worth? All of it. And last week I thought Matt did a great job you the, the week that I was home sick right got attacked by a mutant stomach bug from hell right like I stayed home last week cuz you did not want me here trust me right and I loved the, the week that I missed was the week that we played Hendrix right like of course that would happen uh, but last week Matt unpacked he unpacked this question why do we worship so we know what worship is. It's giving worth, right? It's expressing worth. Well, well why do we do it? And I love Matt, what Matt said. He said, we worship because it's the only response to an encounter with God, our king. It's the only way to respond. The only way to respond when we have an encounter with God is to give him worth. An encounter with God, listen to this, is the encounter with the only one who can satisfy that desire in your heart. He's the only one who could truly satisfy the desire in your heart. He's the only one. God is the only one who can bring peace and understanding to our minds. God is the only one who can bring purpose, real purpose, to our lives. There's nothing and there's no one other than God that's capable of that. And, and again, I love something that Matt said. He said, when you meet God the king, not just a king, but when you meet God the king, your behavior changes as a result of that encounter right? That's, that's just the truth. You can't deny that. When we meet God, the king, just like when we meet somebody important, and we watched all day yesterday, right, as all the news had, you know, cameras set up on the red carpet, and you watch all these different celebrities come in, and everybody, their, their attitude changes when they get around somebody who's famous. They get around somebody who's influential. They get around somebody who's powerful. They get around somebody who has authority, right? Their behavior changes. So should ours. When we have an encounter with God, our behavior shifts and changes. So we know what worship is, It's how we show worth and worthiness to God. We know why we do it, because it's the only response, right, to an encounter with the king. So the next question is this. How do we worship? How do we do this? Which we're going to get into some of the hows here in a few minutes, and there are a lot of hows. There's a lot of ways to do this. But to start out, we need to look at really kind of one way when it comes to how not to worship. Because really, there's kind of one big one here, right? So if you got your Bibles with you... Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew 15 if you need a Bible. We have free Bibles in the back. You can take those home with you. You can have those. If you've got your Bible app in front of you, that works too. We're also going to have it on the screens here. Matthew 15. Now, while you're flipping there, I just kind of want to give, give a little context and set some things up. All right? So we're going to airdrop right into this moment where Jesus is kind of in the middle of this dust up with the Pharisees and religious leaders. And this is the first time that Jesus looks at the religious leaders in this time and calls them hypocrites, which is a big deal, right? Because the religious leaders in this time, they kind of ran the show. They kind of ran the show. Most people lived in fear of them, right, because they were the ones who could determine whether or not you could have a relationship with God and what that relationship looked like. So most people wanted to do the things that they said, and Jesus looks at these people and calls them hypocrites. And this word hypocrite means actor, right? You wear a mask, you play a part, you're just pretending, and here's why this dust-up kind of happens. Here's what comes from this. See, worship, which is showing worth and worthiness, for, for the Pharisees and re- religious leaders, it happened. It took place through rules and religious rituals. That was kind of what their worship. How they worshiped was they worshiped through rules and religious rituals. That's how they worshiped. And kind of the way that it came out was it was, it was an obligation. It was obligatory. It was an obligation rooted in self-righteousness. So you had to do this if you wanted to be righteous, right? How do we worship? Well, we worship through rules and religious rituals, and we do this. Why? Because we're obligated. Why? Because we want to be righteous. We want to make ourselves righteous. Essentially, their worship said this. It said that, that you, have to, you have to worship if you want to be good enough to be loved by God. You have to, and you have to do it in certain ways, and you have to do it in certain places, and you have to do it at certain times, and you have to do, you have to do it just like this, You have to worship if you want to be good enough to be loved by God. And some of us maybe we identify with that. Some of us maybe that that's why we even come on Sunday mornings. It's like I'm just trying to check off enough boxes to where God would look at me and go, finally, you've done enough. I'm just trying to go through the motions. I'm just trying to do the things that I feel like God wants me to do so that He can look down and say, hey, you finally made it. You're good enough. Maybe some of us kind of relate to this or living underneath that pressure. But, but here's what Jesus says, right? Like, so for them, worship was something that you did to earn goodness for yourself. But for Jesus, worship, which was showing worth and worthiness to God, right, it happens not through rules and religious rituals, but it happens through a relationship with God that, that, that is empowered and fueled by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says. It, it's, it's through a relationship with God. And again, like, the, like before, it was rooted in the, the rules and religious r- ritual is rooted in obligation. Worship for Jesus is rooted in an overflow, right? It's an overflow that's rooted in the gospel, right? That announcement, that proclamation that nothing is ever going to be the same again. Why? Because Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He died a sacrificial death for us, and he rose again. So new things are possible. There's a whole new way to live your life. And that's what worship is. It's rooted in the overflow, that I don't have to be condemned by my past anymore. I don't have to live purposeless in my present anymore, and my future is secure forever. It's rooted in that. And so for Jesus, worship looks like this. You get to worship because you already are loved by God. See, one says you have to so you can be good enough, and Jesus says you get to because you already are. So Jesus is in this dust-up, right, with the Pharisees. They're kind of going back and forth. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 15, starting in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, you fake people, you're just pretending. You look good on the outside, but you're really just kind of playing a part and delivering your lines. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Think about that for a second. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You're doing all the right stuff on the outside, but in here, it's far away. You, I mean, you're worshiping me in vain, right? This, is, this isn't getting you anywhere. This isn't getting you. This isn't doing what you think it's doing. And the way that you're doing this is it's just based on teachings from people, and Jesus, he, he quotes Isaiah 29, 13, and it's funny because his father said nearly the exact same thing to the nation of Israel hundreds of years before this moment. Right, so he's quoting his father in this moment, who said almost the exact same thing to a different group of people hundreds of years before this moment. One commentary I read said this, that in both cases, in both this case in Matthew 15 and going all the way back to Isaiah 29, in both cases, bad teaching formed out of mishandled and misrepresented truth and revelation from God. And the result of this, this resulted in higher worth and desire being placed on tradition and ceremony. And in both instances, it ended in a self-justifying complacency in the presence of the Most High God. Now, does that sound anything like what we've been talking about the last couple weeks? To be complacent and to feel like you can justify being complacent before God. In other words, what this meant, right, What happened here in this moment, and again in in Isaiah, was there was a misalignment between the head, the heart, and the hands of the people that were worshiping God. Their desire wasn't for God alone. It was to be seen as good and righteous by God and other people. The desire wasn't just to have this relationship with God the Father. It was to be seen as good, not just by God, but by everybody around me. I want them to see me as good. Their heart's desire wasn't for the worth and worthiness of God. It's for God and everybody else to see my worth and worthiness. That's what I'm after. And then their mind, right, their head has to figure out just what motions to go through. What do I need to do to be seen as good by God and all the people around me? What do I need to do to increase my worth and my worthiness in my spheres of influence, in my circles? What do I need to do? What boxes do I need to check to earn my own goodness? That's kind of where your brain starts to go when your heart is really just out for you. And then the hands do the work. And in worship, before God Almighty, we get complacent. And here's what complacency in worship looks like. It looks like this. God, I'm less satisfied with who you are and all that you've done, and I'm more satisfied with who I am and all that I've done to earn goodness. That's what it means to be complacent. Like we get to this place where it's like we have an opportunity to worship, and we go, no, I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've done all the things I need to do this week. I've checked all the boxes. I've gone through all the motions. I've attended all the things that I need to attend. I've showed up where I need to show up. I'm good. That's what it means to be complacent. I'm good. I don't need anything. God, I do, you know what? I don't need anything from you today. I'm okay. I'm good. You don't have to worry about me. I've done it all. And Jesus says when we do that, we worship him in vain. Now, I think this is pretty fascinating, right? The, fa- the phrase that Jesus uses to kind of outline how not to worship, they worship me in vain, it comes from a Greek phrase that means to chew, consume, or devour. Think about that for a second. This worship in vain means to chew or to consume or to devour. When we chew, consume, or devour, who's the focus on? Us, It's to feed my desire. It's to feed my wants. It's to feed what I'm after. It's on us. The religious people in Jesus' day weren't trying to demonstrate or show worth and worthiness to God. They were trying to do whatever it took to get something for themselves from God. It wasn't a for God situation. It was, here's what we want from God. And while we're at it, while we're getting this from you, God, we also want this from everybody else. We want to be seen as, as worthy. We're just in this for us. He wasn't the focus of their worship. They were. And the same can be true for us today. When our heads, our hearts, and our hands get out of alignment, worship becomes the means and the method by which we try and consume God for ourselves. We want to increase our own worth, and we want to increase our own worthiness. And Jesus says, That's 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 not how you worship, that's vain worship. See in that kind of worship God essentially becomes a cosmic vending machine. Right? And we we just go to him to get what we need and what we want. God, I'm going through the motions. I did all the things, I deposited this, I gave my offering. Now give me what I want. Give me what I want. I did all the things I had to do. Now give me what I want. And as a result, it expresses really very little worth. I mean, how many how many vending machines do you go, oh, my gosh, I have the best relationship with this vending machine. It is awesome. How many vending machines do you go home and think about at night and wonder, is that vending machine thinking about me? You express little worth or value. You're just there to get what you, to do what it takes to get what you want from that machine. And that's the way oftentimes we come at God, like he's just a big vending machine. Think about it like this, Okay. You guys know I love sports. I love sporting events. I love sports in Kentucky. I love Kentucky sports, right? So just deal with that, okay? I'm a a UK fan. It's all right. If you're not, if you're not, thank you. Thank you very much. If you're not, we can talk Jesus and UK afterwards, okay, because they go together. but here's the thing, there's nothing, there's nothing in this world like like a buzzer beater in college basketball, right? If you think about this, we've got some video of this we can just go ahead and throw up there, right, while I'm talking. So there's nothing like, there's nothing in sports like a buzzer beater. Like when, when the clock is running down and your team has the ball and you're trying to score, and, and again, it's one of those things where it's like you're sitting on the edge of your seat, you are nervous, you're sweating, you're pacing, whatever it is, there's nothing like this last second shot. There's nothing like a buzzer beater. The ball, what happens, goes through the air, and, like, as the ball is flying through the air, you know what else is flying through the air? All of the hopes and dreams of that team, right? All the hopes and dreams of that team, their coaching staff, their parents, all, all of the work they put in for an entire season, the fan base, all of the fan base's hopes and dreams go with that ball as it goes through the air. But you watch buzzer beaters, and this is, this is, these are clips from the 2020 basketball season, right, when everything got shut down. You watch buzzer, buzzer beaters in 2020, right, and you, what do you have? You have all of this passion, You have all this passion and all of this excitement by the players on the court, but you look up into the stands, and there's really not much going on, right? You've got cardboard cutouts. Cardboard cutouts don't clap. They don't cheer. They don't jump. They don't scream. They don't shout. They might look like people, but really they're flat. They're lifeless. They have zero response. This is kind of what in vain complacent worship looks like. God See, God wins the game. God has won. God has provided victory for all of us, right? He's provided the opportunity to win against the powers of sin and death. Jesus literally dunked on the powers, not literally, but dunked on the powers of sin and death and won the game forever. He won the game forever. There is no other game. There is no second game in the series. There is no comeback. Jesus won, and that's that. The game is over. And from way up in the nosebleeds, we go... Yay. Thanks. Awesome. Right? God's passion for us, his passion and desire and care for us, his heart for us was on display when he put Jesus on the cross and when he rose Jesus from the dead. And like the, the song that we sing, right? That, that heaven, when Jesus was in the tomb, all of heaven held its breath. But you have to imagine in that moment where that stone rolled away and Jesus walked out, all of heaven went nuts. It was like one of those hold the bench back moments, right? You've got like, like hold the bench back. This is crazy. This, we, we win, we won. Now, for anybody in here Who's ever had this moment where your team hits the last second shot to win the game or kicks the field goal or completes the Hail Mary pass or puts the, the, the last PK into the back of the net? You don't go. Yay. Woo. That's not what you do. This happens. Take a look at this. I love that last one. The no, 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 yeah! Like how many times have we done that, right? And see, and then after that, if if you're a UK fan, you go try to find as many couches as you can set on fire. Um, This is what we do. This is what we do, right? But you watch that video, and what do you see? You see celebration. You see a celebration, right, that the ball is up in the air, and again, all the hopes and dreams are resting on Aaron Harrison's shoulders, and his brother is yelling at him, shoot, shoot, and he finally lets go of the ball, and you're like, surely he can't do this a third time in this NCAA tournament. And he does. The ball goes through the hoop, and everybody goes crazy. You can't believe it. And you, you, look, you watch that video, and what do you see? You see hands lifted high. You see clapping. You see hugging. You see dancing. You see jumping. You see people yelling and shouting. I mean, it's awesome. But here's the thing. When our heads and our hearts and our hands align on the immeasurable and insurpassable worth and worthiness of God. When we encounter the King who through his grace and goodness and mercy, he forgives, right? He loves, he wins the kind of victory that God wins for us. Worship gets expressed in a way that's honest and authentic. It's not it's not cardboard cutout worship, it's honest and authentic worship. And if you've got your Bible, slip back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And again, while you're heading there, I just want to give you a little bit of context of what we're about to read, right? We're going to go all the way back, right, to Exodus and then jump forward, right? Going all the way back to Exodus, right, after God and Moses and the nation of Israel, right, he, he got, after God gives Moses and the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, they put them in a box they call the Ark of the Covenant. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, you know what I'm talking about. It looks like this. I think we've got a picture of it. There it is. The Ark of the Covenant. That's what they think it looks like. And the ark was kept in a place, the Israelites kept the ark in a place called the Tent of Meeting. And on top of this ark, you see those two sculptures of angels, right? In between that was something that what the Jews referred to as the mercy seat, which is where the the presence of God would come and then reside in that Tent of Meeting. Now, after the Israelites came into the Promised Land, they would carry the ark into battle, and the power of God would fight with them and fight for them, and they'd win every time battles they weren't supposed to win. Like, they marched around a city, blew some trumpets, and the walls came down. Like, that's just the kind of stuff that happens when God fights with you and fights for you. But, but after a while, what happened was they kind of conquered everybody. They kind of won every battle. And so they took the ark, and they put it in a barn. Like, thanks, God, for all your help. Appreciate what you've done. Thanks for helping us conquer some folks. But we'll let you know when we need you again. We'll come find you. Don't call us. We'll call you. And it sat there. For almost 400 years. And then a group of people called the Philistines, they came and stole it. And that didn't go really well for them, right? So they gave it back. Hey, sorry, take our take our box, take your box back, right? And then the Israelites, what did they do? They put it back in the barn. And they left it there. Until David becomes king. And he says, you know what, let's go get the ark. And let's bring it back into the city where it belongs. Second Samuel chapter 6. Starting in verse 12 says this, now David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, try to imagine this, okay? This is a famous moment in Scripture, right? We, we, you probably, If you grew up in church, especially in Sunday school, you probably heard people talk about this, right? But I want you to try to make this, bring this moment into your life, into reality now. It's election season. Right? There's, there's all kinds of signs everywhere for people to get elected that are running for office. Now, now just imagine you go home this afternoon and you turn on the news, and one of the candidates that's running for mayor of the city of Louisville, they're kicking off their campaign rally with a parade, and, and in front of the parade is that mayoral candidate leading the charge wearing nothing but their undies. Some of you, it would be all over social media, right? It would go viral. It would be everywhere. Like, some of you would go, this person is crazy. They don't even need to run for office. Some of us would go, they got my vote know who I'm voting for, undies guy, right? That's who I want. That's what's happening here in this moment, right? David is leading the charge in a linen ephod, which looks like this. The priestly undergarments look like that, right? So you can imagine linen, first off, kind of a thin material, and you know, you're in the Middle East where it's hot. Like, you would imagine very little left to the imagination in this moment. And like it says in in 2 Samuel that David, not only is he wearing these priestly garments, priestly undergarments, pastor underwear, mine don't look like that. Um, He's dancing before the Lord with all of his might, which, which isn't like this little shuffle, right? It's not like he's doing this. It's not like the, you know, like the thing, like you stay here, this is where you're at. It's not a little shuffle. Like David is letting it all out. He's dancing, like it says, with all of his might. And we pick up again, verse 16. It says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, who's the daughter of Saul, the old king, watched from a window, and when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now skip down to verse 20. This is, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, and here's what she says sarcastically. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in view of all the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David, very calm, with lots of wisdom, says, I was dancing before God, who, by the way, chose me, not your dad. Think about that for a minute. Or anyone for his house to be appointed, he appointed me over, to be the ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate then for the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. And then says this, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. It's just one of those little, like, we're just going to drop this line in there, right? See, God and David had been through a lot together, even back to when David was a kid. See, when David was a kid growing up, he wasn't anything special. He was a shepherd. He worked out in the fields. And in those times when he was working on the fields, God protected him. God helped him fight off bears and lions that wanted to get to the sheep. God fought alongside of David when he took on Goliath. See, God was with David in moments when he was in the battle. God was with David when he was scared. God was with David when he was hiding out. God was with David when he was running for his life. See, David's heart and his head and his hands were aligned when it came to the overwhelming worth and worthiness of God. David wasn't trying to get something from God, he was giving his all to and for God. His worship was honest and it was authentic. Like Isaiah says, he dances with all of his, or like like Samuel says, he dances with all of his might. He doesn't hold anything back. So for us, the key to how we worship God, it's a collision of honesty and authenticity. It's the honest and authentic truth of who God is, colliding with the honest and authentic truth of who we are. And here's what happens. In the face of God's all-surpassing worth and worthiness, we hold nothing back. I mean, think about this. When you honestly begin to consider who God is, his perfection, his forgiveness, his justice, his mercy. And you begin to think about who we are. We're messy. We're broken. We make mistakes. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We think about ourselves. We don't care for others the way that we should. You think about that. I'm not worthy of a relationship with him, but I have one. Why? Because he says I can, and he makes it possible. So you think about it. It's this collision of honesty and authenticity, honestly going, man, look, look at who God is. Like we talked about the word, that God gets, the word that gets ascribed to God more often than anything is holy. Holy means unlike anything else. There's nothing and no one like him that we get to have that, that relationship with him that honest that honest and authentic relationship right we get that we, and when we we realize god's god's insurmountable and impassable worth and worthiness we hold nothing back donald whitney says this that worship is a way of gladly reflecting back the radiance of god's worth and it can't be done by mere acts of duty It can only be done when spontaneous affection rises in the heart, worship arising from truth-kindled hearts and expressed by heartfelt thoughts and actions towards God. Those will not be rejected as worship in vain. So I thought about this this week. Why is it that we struggle with this? this? Why does this tend to be a struggle for us? Why do we tend to settle for cardboard cutout responses to God in worship instead of celebration? And my hope is this, church. I want to free us up today. And maybe for you, maybe for you, the reason that that we struggle with how to worship is the way that we were brought up, right? Maybe some of us were brought up in our experiences in church. We were led to believe, right, that God hates all kinds of fun, running emotions, or loud noises, right? Like, don't, don't, shh, hush, be quiet, right? Be quiet, sit down, don't run. We're, We're led to believe that. Like, don't you dare laugh out loud. Don't you dare shout, cry, or cry out, or get excited. And whenever you do, never, under any circumstance, are you to dance. Because that only leads to one thing, right? Maybe for some of us, maybe for some of us, it's the fear of being seen or noticed or heard by the people around us. Like, if I lift my hands in worship, someone might look at me. When I sing out loud, just being honest, maybe for some of us, I sound like a dying cat. And someone will, someone, will really, like someone might be concerned and think that I need a doctor if I sing out loud. Even though the joy of the Lord wells up in our hearts and the truth of the Lord saturates our thoughts, everything in us wants to let out how much he's worth and worthy. We keep a lid on it and we're like a shook up 2 leader. Matt Redman, who's a worship leader from, from England, who's written a ton of music, lots of songs that we do. He tells the story that he grew up in a really traditional church where you weren't really allowed to express much of anything in worship. And, and he said that there were moments where you know, he could feel the Holy Spirit welling up inside of him. He could feel his, that gratitude, that worth, and that worthiness welling up inside of him as he was a kid. And he knew, I'm not allowed to do this here in service. So he would leave the church and go run laps in the parking lot and then come back in. Because i got to let this out. I can't, I can't keep this in. I can't hide this. i got to let this out. Church, here's what I'm saying is it's time for us to take the lid off. It's time for us at Adventure to take the lid off. God never stops being who he is. He never stops winning. He never stops loving. He never stops redeeming or restoring or renovating. He is worth and worthy of our all, everything, holding nothing back when we come together and worship. Y'all, when the church gets together... When we come together as a family, this is an opportunity to amplify our worship as we go out of this place. It's an opportunity for us to worship alone. We can worship alone. We worship with our families. You can worship in your car. You can worship in your office. But when we come together, this is an opportunity to be encouraged by other people around you who are going through the same thing in life. And guess what? God is still God. He's still God in those circumstances. He's still God in those situations. He's still worth it all. And so I know a lot of times different types of expression and things like that get attached to different denominations. Here's my goal. Here's what I want for us. Here's what I want worship and adventure to be, honest and authentic. And I don't want you to have to worry about what's happening to the left or to the right of you. Really, the only thing we should be focused on in these moments is God and how worthy he is. I don't, it doesn't have to be jumping and dancing and screaming and shouting. It just needs to be authentic. If you want to do that, great. Go for it. I'm telling you, that's what I want. I want to, I want to set us free. And I don't know if it's, if it's upbringing or maybe if it's just fear or insecurity, but today, right? The reason that we did worship the way we did worship, there's only one song at the front and there's a bunch of songs at the end. It's to give us a chance to stop being cardboard cutout versions of ourselves when it comes to worship, to be alive in this place to celebrate the fact that we have a king who loves us, to celebrate the fact that we have a savior who saves us, to celebrate the fact that the spirit lives inside of us. So I want to read just a few psalms as we, as we wrap up, as we go into a time of worship. And I just want you to see the kind of worship that God loves. Psalm 47 says this, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord most high is awesome. The great king over all the earth, he subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose us, he chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. Basically this, God wins. God ascended amid the shouts of joy. The Lord amid the shouts, the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. One more time, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. He is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Sing and shout praises. Blow trumpets. Psalm 149 says this praise the lord sing the lord sing to the lord a new song music didn't stop being written in the 1600s we can still write new songs sing to the lord a new song his praise in the assembly of his faithful people let israel rejoice in their maker let the people of zion be glad in their king let them praise his name with dancing to make music to him with timbrel and harp for the lord takes delight in his people he crowns the humble with victory Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. It goes with you everywhere at all times. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding of cymbals. Let everything, everything that has breath, praise the Lord one more time. Praise the Lord. That is what we're going to do today. So we'll come back up and we'll do a time of invitation and a time of prayer, but right now what we want to do, church is we want to give you a way to worship. And let me just tell you, the only wrong way, the only wrong way to worship is to hold something back. The only wrong way to worship is to pursue something for yourself and hold something back from God in this moment. So I'm telling you, whatever it looks like for you, honest and authentic, that's, that's what matters. That's how we worship. We worship in honesty and authenticity, honesty and authenticity about who God is and who we are. And we hold nothing back in the way that we express that. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. We're going to spend some time, more time than usual, worshiping. And this is my challenge to you. Hold nothing back today. And then do the same thing tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And eventually you'll get in a pattern of holding nothing back from God. Today, we're just gonna practice right here. It's safe. It's safe in this environment to worship. It's safe in this environment to practice what it looks like to give God my all. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good, and we love you. As we worship you, Father, we pray today, Lord, that we can respond to the blessings you pour out on us, the blessings of mercy and forgiveness, the blessings of life, the blessings of salvation, Jesus as a church, we want to be a church that that, that worships honest honestly and, and, and authentically. We don't have to be the cardboard cutout versions, even though maybe we've been told that our whole lives. Father, today I pray that as we chase after your heart and your and your, your, your pricelessness, there is nothing worth more than you. There is no one worth, worth and worthy, more, worth more and more worthy than you. May we worship you with honesty and authenticity. It's your name. We pray. Amen. Stand and sing with.